This morning as we get into Genesis chapter 22, I'd like to take just a moment and kind of just pose a question to you. What, when, I, when I say the word proof, what does that mean to you guys? Now, those of you who uh, ran in the wrong circles uh, in your youth, you, when I say proof, you think, oh, you're talking about alcohol, aren't you? Yeah. You know, I know we come to church and we talk about spirits, but that ain't exactly what we're talking about, are we? When I say proof, though, you know, when you talk about like in a court of law and a witness, they, they testify and they give proof of something, right? They, they, they show the reality of a situation. They, they show evidence that speaks and declares that this statement is true. It is the proof that is the thing that uh, it solidifies uh, something that is said, a declaration that has been made. Is it not? Today, we are going to be going through probably the defining moment. I wouldn't even say probably. It is the defining moment of uh, the patriarch Abraham's faith. This is the moment of truth for him. This is where, you know, it's, you know, you got, you know, two seconds left on the clock. You know, you're getting ready and he shoots the, th- the free throw. And is he going to sink it or is he going to you know, lay up a brick? You know, this is the moment where, you know, everything that has been going on in Abraham's life, you know, leaving, you know, Ur of the Chaldees, you know, leaving Haran, you know, going, you know, parting from his family and all of that, following the Lord, following the voice of the Lord has brought him to this place. This moment, this is where everything comes together. And in this moment, as we will see, Abraham will be tested. He will be tested. And in that testing, that testing is designed to prove or to just solidify his faith. It's it's to test and to prove and to show uh, his faithfulness and his faith in the Lord. And it's a, it's a powerful moment, but there is something that is worth more than all the gold and all the jewels on this earth. There is something that is worth more than anything that we can purchase, anything that we can apprehend, any glory we can attain, any fame or notoriety. And that is the proving of our faith, that we are who we say we are, that we are the people of God, that we do believe in his word and in his name, and the Lord as we will see with Abraham, will also test his people. He will test us. And in that moment of testing, we will know. And in that moment of testing, there is no more room for self-deception. There is no more room for anything like that. Well, when we stand before our own actions, and if they, if they fall in favor with our declaration of faith towards the Lord, it's like, you know, we know. It's like, yes, we know. But if in that moment of testing, it goes this way, it's like, oh, wow. You know, there, there's no more room for me to go, oh, yeah, you know, I would die for the Lord, you know, kind of saying glibly, you know, as we read Voice of the Martyrs, that would be me. You know, when, when, the, when all the, you know, apostles and everything, when they scattered when Jesus was taken by Herod, you know, I wouldn't have scattered. I would have stayed with them. I would have been like John. You know, when, when Jesus said that he would rise, on, you know, on the third day, you know, I'd be like Mary. You know, I'd be there, you know, crying and, and waiting for the Lord. Only I wouldn't be sad. I'd be like... You know, we say all these things and we get in our minds like, yes, that's who I am. That's what I would do. And that's really what we want to be. But oftentimes it's not until that moment of testing. And the Lord's tests don't come uh, when we expect them. Many times we don't even realize we've been in a test until after they've already passed. Uh, I can give you a good example of this. 
I was uh, teaching the men's ministry at Worship Generation. And, you know, I was the teacher. You know, we kind of rotated, you know, through different teachers and everything. We met at IHOP over there on Beach Boulevard. And so we were driving over there, or I was driving over there, and I was the one teaching the message that day. All of a sudden, I look down, and I notice my thermostat is like, <gasps> it's totally red line. It's in the red. My, my engine is overheating at this moment. And I'm like, whoa, you know, I turn on the heater and everything. It doesn't bring it down nothing. It's just like totally pegged. And I'm like, uh-oh. So I pull over. I'm on the 55 freeway uh, heading uh, south. And I pull over, and I go, I turn off the car, and I just let it sit there for a second. I'm just like, oh, great. What do I do? You know, I'm the one teaching. And my message that day was about faithfulness about faithfulness and about us making sure that, you know, we keep our word. And it's just like, all right, I can call Hector right now. I know that I can call Alex or maybe Garrett, you know, that I know Hector's going to be there. I think the other two guys are going to be there. So I can call them and they can just take the study for me because I, you know, my car's over here and I can't make it. And as I'm sitting there thinking about this and also just like my message started coming into my mind. It's like, but it's about faithfulness and, you know, my word was that I was to be there and I was going to be teaching the men this study on faithfulness. And the Lord was like, it was just like, I'm sitting, the Lord was sitting there in the car with me. He's like, well, Brian, he goes, what is your faithfulness? What price have you put on your faithfulness? He goes, will you uh, keep your car and deny what I have called you to do? Or will you sacrifice your car on my altar and go and teach the word that I have given you? And I was just like, well, when you put it like that, yeah, I was like, well, okay. And I'm like, all right, Lord. I said, you know, I, I literally I laid hands on my dashboard and I, I prayed over my car. I was like, yo, Lord, please just get me there. And yo, Lord, I, I'm going to go. I start the engine up. It's still pegged. And I take off. I start going. I have the heat on. It is full blast. I have the windows rolled down. And I'm just going, going, yeah, traveling at like 60, 65 because I don't want to push it too hard. And I'm just sitting there going, it's like, oh, Lord, please, please don't kill my car. Don't kill my car. And I drive, and I get all the way to Fairview. I get off Fairview because I know there's a gas station right there. I pull off of Fairview. I, I, get a red, I get one red light. I'm like, oh, no. And I'm idling, and my car stopped. It goes, doo, 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 and, like, cut out. And I'm like, oh, no, I just killed my car. And I, and I, I turned the ignition again, and it, 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 it turned over. It, it started back up again. I'm like, this is really bad, really bad. And I pull over, I get into the gas station, and I and immediately, once I get into the driveway, I turned off my engine and coasted over to where the, uh, where the water is. And I was just like, oh. And I go inside because I didn't have any quarters. I said, can you turn on the water for me? And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah. And so he pushes the button. And I go over there, and I do what you're never, ever, ever, ever supposed to do. But I had to because I was actually supposed to be at the Bible study in just a couple of seconds. So I took the water, and now I did, I did do it the best way you can. Instead of spraying it directly on one spot, which will crack your block, I kind of sprayed it all around so it kind of had an even cooling. And I kind of, like, steam was just going up over this whole thing, and it's, like, just going crazy and everything until it finally cooled down a bit. Then I was able to open up the, the distributor cap and – not the distributor, but I, the uh, radiator cap, and I filled it up, and it was completely empty. Like, there was zero water in it at all. And so I filled this thing back up and closed it off, and I'm like – all right, so I sit down in the car. I'm like, this is the moment of truth, Lord. Did I, did I seize my engine? Like, here we go. And I turned it over, and it started right up, and it didn't even have a, it, there was no knocking, no dinging, nothing. It sounded completely normal. And I was just like, Lord, you are so cool. And so I, I take off, and you know, I'm literally about five minutes out from when the Bible study is supposed to start. I'm not even there yet. And so I pull out, and I, and I start heading down towards Beach Boulevard. And I go, and as I'm on uh, Beach Boulevard heading towards the IHOP, Austin, I was just like, Lord, 
because I was thinking of now I was preparing my message in my mind, and I was thinking about you know faithfulness, all these things. I said, Lord, was this a test? And the Lord, and it was just like it was just one of those moments. Like you think, and He's like, yes, this was a test. This was a test on you and what you were willing to do for me. You know, were you willing to sacrifice your car for me? Are, are you able to go and teach a message to these men about telling them to be faithful? And when I put this test in front of you, would you be faithful? And I didn't even know it was a test until I was already like almost there. And I got there and I, start, I started sharing to these guys about faithfulness. And there was a supernatural authority because I was willing to sacrifice my car for it in that moment. And I, I'm, please don't think that I'm trying to you know, like say, oh, look how cool I am. Because any other time I, I might have failed it. But that time, that moment, it was just like, no, this is what I'm supposed to do and I'm going to go for it. And I was able to speak with an authority that I, I wouldn't have had if I just, if it was just like, oh, you know what? You know, I've been faithful in a lot of things. Hey, guys, you know, be faithful. You know, be faithful. And yet in this moment, because of that test that I didn't even know was a test, now there was this great authority. And here we see in Abraham's life and in his faith, He's been walking with the Lord. He's been hearing the Lord. He's been doing great feats and exploits in the name of the Lord. And now, and now, the greatest test and the greatest moment of his life and one of the defining moments in Scripture is about to take place. And, you know, he went to bed that night with not a thought in the world, just like, hey, you know what? The promises, I've got my son. You know, Sarah has had a baby. You know, you know and it's like, you know, this is, this, this is, you know, time has passed and since, you know, Isaac has been born. He could be anywhere from a three-year-old to a 30-year-old. That word that says lad in my, in my translation, it just means a young man. And, you know, I would actually tend to think that Isaac was an older, at least a teenager to an adult, because the wood that's necessary for a burnt offering is extensive. You need a lot of wood. And it says that Abraham put all the wood on Isaac's back, and, I, and Isaac was able to take it up uh, Mount Moriah. So a little boy is not going to be able to do that. Livy or Sarah or Trinity or Chloe is not able to do that. A man does this. And so... Why don't you uh, turn with me to Genesis chapter 22, and we're going to we're going to dig in now, and truly a defining moment in Scripture. Verse one of chapter 22 of Genesis. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham, and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. And we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Then Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. 
And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your only son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they rose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. Father, we just pray right now, Lord, that you would just take these words and help us to comprehend the depth and the meaning of what has happened here. Lord, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, Lord, you would just um, give power to these words, that they would sink deep into our heart, Lord, separating uh, soul and spirit, bone and marrow. Lord, that we might discern our own hearts and our own thoughts and our own minds and who we are in you and our own faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A proven faith is something more valuable than gold. It is something that cannot be bought. It is something that cannot be attained by any other means than by fire. It can't happen. You know, I, I could sit here and I can you know, build a cajon like this. And you guys can look at it and go, oh, yeah, look at that, you know. And I say, hey, you know what? This cajon is strong. You know, I built it out of the best materials. You know, it's got two frames inside there. This thing will hold up a 225-pound man. You can stand on it. You can dance on it. You can jump on this thing, and it's great. And then we all kind of like go, oh, yeah, that's great, that's great. And, you know, you know, you see it getting played for worship and things like that. And then we can just continue on. You hear a Bible study, and we just continue on. We have food and fellowship, and there that cajon sits in the corner just sitting there just sitting there all by itself. And yet the declaration of the maker says that cajon is strong and you can, it can bear you. It can bear you up on it. And, you know, you can say, you know, most of you, you know, like, you know, Frankie knows how I built it. A couple of you guys, you know, have even tipped it over and looked inside and saw how it built. It's like, yeah, yeah, I believe. I believe it would hold you. Definitely. Certainly. And yet there it sits. And it continues to sit. And, you know, you, we may be, you know, worshiping here for years and years. And unless I build a better one, you know, this one will probably be the one that, you know, gets used in the church service. And you'll hear it played. And, you know, you hear the beats. And maybe it'll be turned around and used as a conga instead. And the whole bit, it just kind of sits there in its corner. And yet the declaration of the maker is that this thing will hold a 225-pound man. And it won't break. It won't falter under the weight of it. And you go, oh, okay, great. And yet your belief your trust in the declaration of its builder is only hypothetical. It's only, yeah, 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 I believe that. You know, well, I don't have any reason to doubt it. You know, it looks sound. You know, it looks fine. But, you know, th there's really nothing there until I actually say, hey, you know what? 
I would like you to please come forward now and stand up on this cajon. You know, until that moment of truth, until that moment where you actually stand on it and that cajon, that, uh, the wood and the glue that, you know, and the screws that are the construction of that cajon, until they bear the burden of the weight of a grown man upon it, it hasn't been proven. It, has, you know, it hasn't been tested. It hasn't been brought through the fire. It hasn't been crushed yet by the weight of a full-grown man. Does that make sense? It's not until we have been brought through the fire. It's not until we have been crushed that our faith can truly said that it is a proven faith. And God does test his people because, you know, you know, every single one of us has a testimony. And some of us, you know, we've known the Lord our entire lives. That's not me. But many of you can say, you know what, I grew up in a Christian home. I've walked with the Lord. I've never known a time in my life that I didn't know the Lord. And I say, you know what, I'm jealous. I am jealous of that testimony. Don't ever think that your testimony is less than somebody who did drugs and you know, rob people and all that kind of stuff. Never for a moment think that you have the better testimony. You have the better testimony. Because you can say, I've walked with the Lord my whole life. He's been faithful to me my whole life. And there's something, there's a power and authority there that nobody else has. And you should be excited about that testimony, as excited as the people who have the bad testimonies. But God will test you. God will test me. And, you know, there are words that we declare, and yet until the Lord actually brings you to that proving place, until the fire comes into our lives, until we are crushed by the world, until we are crushed by the things surrounding us, we will never truly know if our faith is a genuine faith. We will never completely know. And it's kind of interesting the way the, the Lord uses this, for now I know. And it's like, wow, didn't the Lord know already? I don't know, but nevertheless, that's what the scripture declares. Now I know. Now I know. The Lord calls each and every single one of us. And as we respond, now I responded as an adult. You know, I responded to the voice of my Savior as an adult. And I gave my heart to him. And as, you know, the Holy Spirit came into my life and he began to sanctify me and you know, there have still been several moments in my life where the Lord has tested me. I, I remember one specifically where I was actually uh, in the book of Joshua, and I was reading about how, you know, they went into the land and that they were supposed to, you know, ransack uh, Jericho, and that, but it was the Lord's. This was the first offering of the Lord's. And I had been given, now, this was when my bank account had gone from, you know, the plush bank account that had the, the, the money that we, you know, got from our, um, the sale of our house. Uh, and that had been completely uh, brought down to zero. And it had been brought down to zero. And a sum of money was given to me for the work that I did over the summer. And the Lord literally said to me, I remember this as I was reading this, he's like, that sum of money he says, is holy to me. That is the first fruits of your ministry, and it is mine. It is holy. And I was like, huh. And I'm like, all right. And I went to Heidi. I said, Heidi, I said, I know we don't have any money. I said, but I believe that the Lord is telling me that this is the first fruits of our ministry and that it's his. And she says, okay, do all that's in your heart. Give it back. And so I was like, you know, we, we basically signed it over and we gave it back. And we just gave it as an offering. You know, nobody knew it wasn't anything. And 
So there it was. And the next devotion that I came before the Lord, it's where Achan had reached out and taken some garments and the silver and everything like that from Jericho. And he hid it and he dug a hole and put it inside his tent and everything. And, yo, his sin was found out. Remember, because their, their armies were defeated by a little small band and everything, even though they, just, they conquered this incredible city of Jericho, this high-walled city that, it, you know, if you believe the reports, it had walls up to 300 feet high, and they were like so thick that you could have like four chariots race across side by side across the top of the wall. This was a huge fortified city. Okay, it was enormous. It was impossible on their own to defeat it, and yet they did. And now they go to this little place that doesn't even have walls, you know, it's just this little community, and their armies get defeated by them. And everyone's like, whoa, what's going on? The Lord says, you didn't seek me. There's sin in your camp. And they're like, whoa. And they start, they start you know, casting the lots. They start asking the Lord, Lord, you know, show us who it is. And it comes right down to Achan. And Achan's like, yeah, you know, I saw it there, and I took it. I reached out my hand, and I took it. And you know, they, they ended up stoning him to death because of what he had done. And as I was reading that, the Lord's like, and it, it, was, it was very startling to me, actually. The Lord said, if you would have kept one penny of that money, he said, your ministry would have been ripped from your hands. It would have been over. And I was just sitting there going like, wow. And I showed Heidi that, and you know, both of us had kind of a, a reverent and holy fear at that moment. We were just sitting there under the weight of that, like, wow. You know, none of this would have happened. And there are times where the Lord will bring each of you to a moment, to a defining moment, where he will say, here's the choice. It stands before you. Will you reach out your hand and take of the world, or will you in faith give it to me as a first fruits offering, giving everything? This is where Abraham was on this evening. It says that you know, God tested him, and it says that he said to him, Abraham, in verse 1. Now, Abraham's asleep. This is at night. You know, he went to bed just like any other night. He didn't know that the Lord was going to be calling him on this day. You know, he, he had no clue. He was, it was just a day like any other. You know, now, this is Abraham, so you know, he's the one who's met the Lord. He's seen the Lord. God has shown him all these things, done great things. And so, like, how ordinary is Abraham's everyday life? I have no idea. You know, he entertains angels and all that and the whole bit. And yet... Yo, this was a day like any other for this man. And he, was, he, w he went to bed, just like he went to bed every other night before. And he's lying there. And in a dream, in a vision, the Lord said, Abraham. And notice that the way there's an exclamation point. It's like God is calling to him. Abraham. And Abraham's like, here I am. What a great answer. When the Lord calls, here I am. You know, here I am. Wouldn't you like it, those of you who are parents, if you called your kids and they answered like that? Here I am. <laughs> Instead of ignoring you or what, you know, things like that. Wouldn't you guys love that? If you said, hey, Trinity, here I am. Now, Sarah actually does that. So not to toot Sarah's horn too much, but she's like, yes, daddy. And she skips over to where you are. Yes, mommy. And she skips over to you. Everybody else is like, what? What do you want? You know, but that's just Sarah. But wouldn't it be nice if all your kids would do that when you say like, hey, hey. And you're like, they're like, here I am. And yet that's how, that's Abraham's heart towards the Lord. You know, when the Lord calls, he's like, here I am. You know, I'm at your service. What, what can I do for you, Lord? You know, here I am. And so the Lord calls him in this dream and he says, now this is a hard dream. This is a hard dream. He says, now take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. 
I believe this is the first mention of love in the Bible. Take your son whom you love. This is a defining moment in Scripture. Take your son whom you love and offer him as a burnt sacrifice unto the Lord. What's a burnt sacrifice? Do you guys know? A burnt sacrifice is what you do. It's usually a one-year-old lamb. They take the one-year-old lamb, they slit its throat, let all of its blood pour out. They have a big pyre of, of wood. They put the lamb on there and they complete the entire lamb. They take the skin off and that and the entrails. But like all of the meat, everything that is that lamb is consumed by the fire. It's holy the Lord's. It's a burnt offering. It's a sweet savor unto the Lord. When we get to the Levitical priesthood, that's what it calls it. It's the sweet savor unto the Lord. And so the Lord says, I want you to take your son, the son of promise, the one that I have given you, the one I spoke to you about, the one that you would be blessed through. He says, I want you to take your own son and I want you to slit his throat and I want you to burn him on a pyre to me. That's a heavy dream. Now, I want you guys to notice something. Verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. Did you catch that? That would be one of those things for me. I'd be like, no, Lord, you know, I think I need some confirmation on this. Where's the fleece? Yo, I need a fleece. Where's the fleece? You know, I'm, I'm gonna, yo, Lord, you need, to, you need to show me that this is truly your work, that this is truly your word. Abraham, the, you know, he knew it. And you know what? When the Lord speaks to us, we know it, don't we? We, we? we recognize. Now, not everybody hears the audible like, oh, voice and everything like that. Some people do. Some, I've, I've talked to a couple of people who do, right? Some people hear that audible voice. You know, some people, it's just that still quiet voice. Some people, it's, the Lord speaks primarily through scripture, things like that. Uh, some people even have visions and dreams and things like that. And yet, nevertheless, there are times when we, like, when we kind of question, it's like, was that a burrito? I'm not sure. But then there are times, there are moments where it's like, I know, I know the Lord has spoken to me this day. I know. And Abraham knew that the Lord had spoken this day. And he rose and he got up. He saddled his donkey. He started chopping some firewood. He got some of his servants together. He got Isaac, his son, together. And he's like, it's time to go. And he didn't wait. He didn't drag his feet. He didn't wait for other people. He didn't wait to, to confirm it with Sarah. You know, it's like, can you imagine like having that family meeting? Uh, Sarah, you know, I had a dream last night. And the Lord wants me to kill our son. What do you think? Can you, can you imagine trying to present that? Seriously, can you, Renee, can you imagine talking to Prue, Prudence? Um, yeah, the Lord just showed me that, you know, I'm supposed to, uh, you know, take Jacob and I, I'm going to like take, we're going to have like a nice camp out and we're going to take a lot of wood, a lot of wood. And, you know, I'm going to tie him up, slit his throat, put him on that thing, light it on fire and like say, Lord, here you go. Prudence, what do you think? Good idea, bad idea? That's a pretty bad idea. You got it. That, you know, that, that would be one of those moments. That would be the moment in the thing where it's like, you know what? Let's talk about this, honey. Let's talk about this. No, 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 no. Abraham doesn't wait for a family meeting. He knows it's the Lord. He stands up. He saddles his donkey. He gets his servants together. He gets everything prepared, and he's ready to leave early in the morning. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Especially when you think about, you know, God testing him and the way this is. I, I want to share a verse with you. 
uh, it's in Hebrews chapter 11. You know, I mean, think about who this is. This isn't, you know, Ishmael. This isn't Ishmael. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, you know, and, and Abraham's been in, in Hebrews chapter 11 pretty, you know, pretty frequently. But, you know, here it is. Now, listen to what it says. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, there that word is again, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Okay, let's just paint this picture now real quick here. God said to Abraham, I will give you a son, the son of promise. No, it's not Ishmael. I know you tried. Nice try, but no, you not going to happen. Finally, in their old age, Abraham at 100 years old, Sarah at 90 years old, and the Lord delivers, opens her womb. She has the son named Laughter, named Isaac. And in this son, all of the descendants, which are supposed to be as numerous as the stars of the heavens, as numerous as the sands of the sea, in all of them, you know, all of the blessings, the blessings that are going to bless the nations are to come through this young man. So all the promises, remember, you know, Abraham believed, you know, he was looking to that city who has foundations, whose maker and builder is God. We already went over this. You know, all of the promises of God are wrapped up in this one little boy. Can you imagine every time Isaac got sick? (gasps) My birthright, you know, oh, you know, like that could be really startling because all of the promises were wrapped up in this child. Everything, everything, all the eggs were in one basket. And he says, through this child, all of the nations will be blessed. The Messiah himself is going to come through this child. And now Abram had a moment where he had to say, you know what, do I trust God? And Abram, and I love how in Hebrews, it gives you the background. It gives you the thought process of Abraham. Abraham, I love this. This is a proven faith. This is worth more than gold. This is more than rubies, precious stones, anything. This is better than a bank account. This is better than, you know, having your 401k just plush. This is better than having a house and have it completely paid for. Abraham in this moment said, well... All the promises are through my son. And if the Lord says, hey, you have to sacrifice your son, and yet the Lord has already promised me that through Isaac, who has not had children yet, all of, you know, I'm going to have like all of these you know, you know, family members and everything. I'm going to have all these kids and grandkids and great-grandkids and all this kind of stuff. If the Lord, if he wants me to sacrifice Isaac, that's his problem because he's got a promise to keep, and I know he's going to keep it. And he says, so you know what? All right. When he woke up in that moment, in that morning, guess what? In his mind, Isaac was already dead. Let me say that again. When he woke up that morning after God had said, sacrifice unto me your son, your only son, your only begotten son, he said, when he woke up that morning, in his mind, Isaac was already dead. He is already, you know, he's the Lord's. I've given him to the Lord. He's already gone. That's what it talked about when it said that he's going to receive him back. And he said it, and he did in a figurative sense. That's what it's talking about. How long did it take to get to the mountain on Moriah that the Lord was talking about? Isaac was dead in the mind of Abraham for three days. Any picture starting to come clear here for a second? This is a type. That's what I'm talking about. This is a very pivotal, pivotal moment in Scripture. And so he heads on his way. 
Early in the morning, he rises. He does not wait. He does not doubt. He does not stagger. He doesn't have a family meeting. You know, he doesn't say, you know, he doesn't bring everybody around and say, okay, guys, um, you know, here, here's the plan. He's like, no, the Lord has spoken. My son is dead, but he will raise him back from the, he will raise him from the dead and give him back to me because so sure are the promises of God. This morning, is your faith such that if the Lord said, give me everything, would you be willing? Could you say, could you stand on the sure foundation of God's word and the promises which he has given to us? Can you stand this morning and say, Lord, take what you will, whatever fire you bring, you know, whatever crushing you need to bring me through, Lord, amen and amen. Or is there a line in the sand where you say, like Prue, and Prue, I'd be the same way, so I'm not picking on you in any way. Or is there a line in the sand where we'd say, Lord, I will go thus far and no further. I will trust you, and I will believe you, and I will follow you, but don't ask me to do this, Lord. Because if you ask me to do this, I cannot follow you there. Is there that place in our lives? With Abraham, it wasn't. With Abraham, he said, you know what? Anything and everything I have is from the Lord. Remember uh, the king of Sodom said, hey, you can keep all the gear, just give us the people. You can keep all the treasure when he fought those five kings, or the four kings, and like took all the spoils back. And he said, no, 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 no. He says, I don't want you to brag to the world that you made me rich. He says, no, everything is from the hand of the Lord. He said, and so if everything is from the Lord, he says, then what do I have to withhold from the Lord? Everything is his. Everything is his. And so Abraham was willing, even his son the son that God promised and delivered, he said, he's not mine. He's the Lord's. And so he rose early in the morning. He chopped the firewood. His wife was probably like, what are you doing? We're going on a camping trip. We're, we're heading out for what we'll be back in a, in, in a little while. And off he went. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being Abraham? This is that faith the size of a mustard seed. And it all hinges on one thing. Is the word of God reliable? Is the word of God truthful? Will God keep his word? And you say, oh, Pastor Brian, you know, there's all sorts of different translations of the Bible. There's all these different things, you know. It's like, how can we be sure that this is like really, it's like, you know what? There, there, there's a great book called Canon of Scripture by F.F. F. Bruce. He's like the guy. Trust me, your Bible, right? If it's a credible Bible, if it, you know, here it is. You know, there, there's a bunch of scriptures. Like you, you can go to a bookstore and you'll find all these different scriptures and they're based off of um, the Greek uh, New Testaments and the Hebrew Old Testaments and, you know, they all correlate. They're all the same. All of the scholarship across the ages have proven that these things are true, that they are Translated properly. Okay? But now, let me just say this. If there is one moment, because Jesus said, he said, not one yacht, not one tittle will pass away from the word. He says, the heavens and the earth will pass away, but my word will by no means pass away. What's he saying there? Is God bigger than man? Let, let's say you had a scholar, and you know, he was an egghead. You know, he, you know, he knew his Greek backwards and forwards. You know, they knew their Hebrew and all that kind of stuff. And if, if you knew how the, how the Jews kept the, the Old Testament, you'd be impressed. It's impressive the way they did it. And the way when they copied a translation, there was a lot of you know, checks and balances to make sure that it was accurate. And they could get through a whole year's work, which would be like one book, 
they could get through the whole year's work. And if they realized, because they had like a number counting system, they'd literally add up and they had like margins on their scrolls and they'd add up the numbers, the, the quantities of the letters. And if the letters didn't add up to the exact number, like, you know, A would be worth one, B would be worth two. And so they would add it up. It'd be a math equation on the side. If one, if one letter was off, if that, within that whole book, there was one spot, like you got to the whole end of it, right? Years work. And they got to the very last word of amen. And they, they spelled amen improperly. You know what they do? They don't cross it out and spell it properly. They take that scroll, they roll it up, they throw it in the fire. They get a new scroll, a new pen, they unroll it and they start over. That's how serious they were about their word. So now let's just say though, for, um, just for fun, Let's say that you had an egghead scholar who was on his thing and he was just going, you know, he, you know, he had about, you know, five cups of Starbucks and everything like that to try to keep himself awake. It's in the middle of the night. His eyes are red and bloodshot and everything like that. And he's going and someplace in there, he, you know, he adds an extra letter, you know, into the scripture. Let me just say this. Is God, is his arm short that he can't correct for that? Is God, you know, if literally our entire faith is dependent upon the scholarship of one man, a man, a human man, then, you know, what's our faith based on? You know, our faith is in the God who made himself known, who revealed himself, who said all scripture is God breathed and inspired by the Holy Spirit. And, you know, I've got to believe that God can overcome even, you know, the the um, inadequacy of a scholar. And it's like, you know what? I have absolutely no problem looking at the scriptures and saying, you know what? Yes and amen. I have absolutely no problem because God is bigger than us. He's bigger than, you know, what people will do. Because there's a lot of people who will, t- who will twist scripture and things like that. And, you know, you know what? He's bigger than that. He's bigger than that. And we do have an accurate and correct um, expression that he has made to us, his people, that we may know him. And within the scriptures is everything necessary for life and godliness. Everything. There's nothing that is, is lacking. Everything we need is found here. And so what it all comes down to, Abraham and his faith, because Jesus said all it takes is the faith the size of a mustard seed. How big is a mustard seed? About that big. You probably can't even see the space between my fingers right now. It's a little teeny tiny seed. It's a teeny tiny little speck. And all we have to believe is that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he said he will do. Can we believe that? Can we believe that? Because everything else, everything else is contingent upon that one thing. Will God keep his word. And this is what Abraham was faced with. He said, you know what? God said that, you know, all of my descendants are going to be through Isaac. Do I believe him? There's no other question. There is no other question. Not like idiosyncrasies on, okay, you know, well, if I empty out of all of his blood, how is God going to fill his veins back up? You know, how is, none of those things matter. None of those things are consequential in the, at all. The only thing that matters is will God keep his word? 
He said that I will have all of my descendants, all of my blessings are going to be through this son, through Isaac. And if he calls me to kill my son, then you know what? He's going to resurrect him from the dead. I don't know how all that works. I don't know how you know, the, 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 micro, the molecular biology of how the cells, you know, cellular death and all that stuff. How does he bring it back to life? I have no idea. You know, when you start talking about, okay, how much does your spirit weigh and your soul weigh? You know, like when you die and, like, and people have weighed them and they weigh less than the moment after they die than they do the moment that before they died. And you can ask Bryson. He'll tell you about stuff like that because he, he studied science and all that. But it's like, you know, how much does the spirit weigh and all that kind of I, I, You know, honestly, I don't even care. I don't know. That's, that's all very interesting, very fascinating. But in the end, this is what... Each one of us this morning have to understand it's the, th- it's the place and the testing of our faith. It is the proving grounds of our faith. Will God keep his word? What do you guys think? Will God keep his word? Because if God will keep his word, what do we have to fear? Anything? Anything. Jesus said, hey, don't fear those people who will kill you and take your lives. He says, fear God who can, take, who can kill your body and your soul. Right? There's nothing. There's nothing. And we, like Abraham, can say, you know, rise up early, cut the firewood, time to go. Come on, Jacob, let's go. And off we go. Come on, Trent, let's go. You're my firstborn. She'd be like, oh, yeah, I get to go on a camping trip with Daddy. And off we go. I want you guys to notice, uh, look at verse 5. Verse 5, it says, And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. When was the last time your worship of the Lord cost you something? This moment with Abraham wasn't like a begrudging, like, I gotta, the Lord's asking me to do this. My, doesn't he know he's my son and I love him? And I, I, I. That's not what Abraham's doing. When we were singing here and you know, I saw a couple of you with your hands raised up and you were worshiping the Lord and you were entering into the throne room of God, you know, that moment, that's what this was for Abraham. Abraham was not going to a funeral he was going to a worship service that worship service had a very expensive ticket to get in and yet that's what he was doing he was going to worship right, you don't need to turn there but you know we see this uh, repeated at the end of um second samuel uh king david you know he, he did the census on the people and the, the plague started happening you know throughout the entire uh children of israel like Thousands of people are dying because of him and, and his sin. And, you know, the prophet tells him, hey, you know, you need to go sacrifice over on this mountain, Mount Moriah, if that doesn't ring a bell to you of what we're just reading right now. And uh, so he does, and he goes there. And this guy named Aruna happens to own a threshing floor on that place. It's where they separate the wheat and the chaff because it's windy up there, right? And so he's sitting there, and, you know, Aruna says, hey, you know, take the land. Here, here's some cattle. You know, here's the wood. He goes, just take it, and, and you'll offer it to the Lord. And I love I love, listen, this is what uh, King David says. It says, Then the king said to Aruna, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price, nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. When was the last time our worship of the Lord cost us something? When was the last time when, when we like literally looked to the cross? Because that place where the, where the plague was stayed in King David's time, it's the same place. It is literally, Aruna's threshing floor is the same Mount Moriah that Abraham is commanded by God to sacrifice Isaac on. 
Do you guys realize that? It's the same place. It is literally in the footsteps. It, you know, it could be the very spot where Isaac was on that pile of wood. But you know what? That's not the only place where this sacrificial worship took place. Uh, we, we actually see it a little bit later where it says when, when Abraham named it, it says, The Lord will provide, uh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord. This is a prophecy now. In the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. What shall? What shall? What's going to be provided? A sacrifice. What kind of sacrifice? The sacrifice of a son. Remember when, you know, Isaac, and I love this. I love it that Isaac knew how to worship. Because he's the one who said, you know, father, you know, he, you know, here's the fire and here's the wood, but, you know, where's the lamb? Isaac knew how to worship. His father had taught him how to worship. Guys, fathers, have we taught our kids how to worship? Have they seen us worship? Have they participated in worship with us? That's actually one of the reasons why the kids are in here during worship. They need to see us worshiping. Because as they see us, they will follow. And yet, you know what? You know, here this moment of worship is. And, you know, Abraham, his response to Isaac was, the Lord will provide for himself an offering. Now, that word for is an English word that just makes this kind of make sense a little bit. But the Hebrew word, it actually says that, you know, God will provide himself an offering. And you, you, know, you can read that a couple different ways. God will provide for himself, like we translate it, or God will provide himself an offering. And you go like, huh, well, that's interesting. What did Abraham sacrifice on the altar when it all was said and done? A ram, not a lamb. A one-year-old lamb is the offering for a burnt sacrifice. So something was left undone on this hill, Mount Moriah which is also known as Golgotha in the New Testament and Calvary. In the Mount of the Lord. What's the Mountain of the Lord? The mountain, the mountain of the Lord is the mountain, the place where God said, I will call my name there forever. That's the Mountain of the Lord. It's not Sinai. The Mount of the Lord is the Lord where the Lord has placed his name forever. In the Mountain of the Lord, it shall be provided. What? The sacrificial death of a son, the only begotten son who will take away the sin of the world. We see it here. And that, I don't know if you guys realize it, but that moment, Calvary, was an act of worship. The burnt sacrifices, you know, the sacrifices, the slaughtering of the lambs, those were worship services. That's what those were. Jesus on the cross was the greatest moment of worship in our time and in history, in the universe. It is the greatest single act of worship unto the Lord, the most costly sacrifice ever given. Guys, when we raise our hands to the Lord, I hope it's not about, oh, you know, his guitar is out of tune. Because if it is, you've missed it entirely. I hope it's not, oh, wow, Lauren has a really great voice, because she does. Because if it is, then you've missed it. What we are doing as we are worshiping our God is we are looking to Calvary and we are identifying with the most costly act of worship that has ever been given. And it is seen here in Abraham's life. And we have nothing that we can give, right? How can we top that gift? How can we top that? What monies can we give? What houses can we donate or refinance in order to give finances to a church? No, nothing. There's nothing that we can do. And yet, 
What does God require? That we look to Calvary, that we look to what He paid, that we might worship, that we might have communion and fellowship with Him. And when we do that, then our worship has cost something. It has cost the Son of God His life on my behalf. And when that is real in my life, then I can truly worship my God. If it's about works, if it's about what I can give, you know what? There is no true worship in that. What, what can you give? What's God going to receive that is greater than what his son has already given? The things, if I literally try to get, offer something, like, hey God, you know what? Jesus died on the cross for me. He poured out his blood. He was, that, he was that lamb of God who poured out all of his blood and was crucified. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane? Gethsemane literally means olive press, crushing. Jesus was crushed for his act of worship. And yet he said that he longed for that act of worship. Remember he said he, he longed to have that last uh, night of communion with his disciples. He says, I, for so long, he goes, I've longed for this moment to celebrate this Passover with you. It was an act of worship. And yet, if we come to the Lord and say, hey, Lord, you know what? What your son did was great, but you know what? That's not enough. I've got to do this and this and this and this and this and this. Those things become an offense to the Lord. When you try to draw near to the Lord with your holiness, with your righteousness, with your good deeds, when you try to worship him by the, the will of your hand, by the strength of your arm, then that is offensive. Because what he's saying is, then what my son did for you is of no effect in your life. What my son did for you is worthless in your eyes because you think you have to top it. And how can we... A sinful people top what the holy God offered. We can't. We can't. And there we stand. That is the great paradox in our lives. There we stand, a holy God, a righteous God who must judge sin. And here we are, a sinful people, uh, a waylaid people who have, you know, we know that we've committed iniquities. The Bible says that our good works are as filthy rags before him. Our good works. That means us on our best day is as filthy rags before the Lord. And so there we stand, a sinful people and a holy God. And a holy God must judge a sinful person. He must. It's part of his character. The word of God would fail. That thing that we said we believe. The word of God would fail if he didn't judge. And yet now the Lord offers a sacrifice in our place. So he can still be holy. He can be righteous. Sin can be judged. And yet he can still be merciful and his love for a fallen people can stand fast. Do we know how to worship God truly? Do we know how to worship him in spirit and truth? Not in our way, what we want to do to worship him, but do we approach God the way he has dictated, the way he has commanded, the way he has said, yes, this is how you approach me. Because that's what we must do. That's what we must do. And then here's the last thing, the last point that I want to share with you guys. Verse 15. Actually, I'm going to start at verse 12. Look at verse 12. It says, And he said to him, Do not lay your hand on the lad, nor do anything to him. Now listen to this. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Go up to verse 15. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this, saying, um, this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. And he talks about all the blessings. And what does he do? He, he repeats all of the blessings that he already gave in Genesis fifteen six. 
Remember when, when it says that Abraham believed and it was accounted to him for righteousness? That's Genesis 15, 6. That's where his faith was birthed in that moment when he truly trusted God with his life. And yet now, here, in this moment, this is the completion of it. Why does God repeat? Why does God repeat the, the promises? Now I know that you, have, that you truly believe me, that you truly fear me. And now all of the things that I've promised will be fulfilled in your life. Uh, James, uh, in chapter 2, uh, verse 14, it says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says, and that word says is important, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can faith save him? And when it, when it says, can faith save him, it's not talking about a saving faith. It's saying, can this kind of faith save him? In word only. Can that kind of faith save somebody? No. It hasn't been proven yet, has it? And at the end of it, in verse 22 of uh, chapter 2 of James, it says, Do you see that faith was working together with his works? Talking about Abraham. And by works, faith was made perfect. And listen to this, verse 23. This is very important. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Wait a second. Wasn't when Abraham believed, wasn't that the act? Wasn't that the moment of salvation for Abraham? Right here in the New Testament, the commentary on the Old Testament was that in this moment when he was willing, when he, he reached out his hand to grab the knife and he was about to kill his son, in that moment, the declaration that he believed was fulfilled. And the fullness of that belief was manifested. It was now proven. It was now proven. And that's why, literally, listen to this. Those of you who have been a Christian your entire life, the faith of a child can be proven as an adult. Do you understand that? The faith of a child can be proven as an adult. This, it's, it's literally the same action. You think, oh, no, 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 these are two, act these are two different things. You know, I gave my heart to the Lord you know, that day, long time ago. Or maybe you who gave your heart to the Lord, you know, some of you maybe you know, went to a harvest crusade and things like that. You know, that faith, that was an act. But you know what? That's the beginning of the action. It's kind of like on your computer, you know, like when you, when you, you can open up more than one tab on your internet. You can literally have multiple tabs and you can flip back and forth to those things. It's like having a tab open. Your saving faith, that moment that you believed, right, it's a tab that is open. And then you, know, you, you may seal the deal right then and there too. And it might be, okay, it's been proven. Like the Lord may call you out of it and like, boom, you're done. But you know what? Sometimes, and this is what happened with Abraham, he believed and then later, maybe up to 30 years later, his faith was proven on that day that he offered his son to the Lord. He held nothing back. And even though they seem like two different things, you know, years apart, maybe he didn't even remember that day. Maybe he'd completely forgotten about that day that he believed, although I find that hard to believe. Even though they are two things separated by time and years and experiences, nevertheless, these are two of the same moment. This is the fulfillment of this. And guys, I don't care whether you believe when you're a child, whether you're like me and you gave your heart to the Lord as an adult. The Lord will at some point in our life, and maybe it's right away, maybe it's immediately, maybe it's later, He will prove that faith. He will prove that faith. And you know what? That faith, knowing, knowing I believe God, 
knowing I fear God, knowing that I will hold nothing back from my God, knowing that I will give my all for him. That is where the assurance of our salvation, that is the absolute where we know it's like, you know what? Nothing can harm me. Nothing can sway me. Nothing can move me on this earth because I know in whom I've believed. It is when our faith is proven, when the fire comes, when the crushing comes, that we know what's truly in our hearts. And it is only then. And guys, so when those hard times come, when the challenges come, when the Lord calls you and says, I want you to do this, whether it is the forsaking of sin, whether it is being obedient uh, to the Lord in a certain area, it doesn't matter what it is. But when that moment comes and you know and you have the clarity of the Lord and he has spoken to you, don't falter. Don't falter. But say, yes, here I am, Lord. Arise early, saddle your donkey, and go worship the Lord. Because you know what? The Lord's word is like that cajon. And you know what? Check it out. I don't weigh 250 pounds. I can jump on that. No problem. I am a lousy craftsman. The Lord is... He is the great. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. His word is a much firmer foundation than any cajon. You can trust it. You can live by it. Fill yourself now. Wash your mind in the water of the word. Be ready now. Do your study now so when the test comes, you can ace it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your word. Lord, it is incredible. Lord, the faith of your servant Abraham. And Lord, you gave him so much and he was a wealthy man and he was blessed. But Lord, he was always willing to give everything back. He withheld nothing from you. There was no part in his life, there was no line in the sand that he said thus far and no further. He was willing to lay down even the life of his son, his only begotten son whom he loved for you. Lord, I pray that as we have declared this morning, each one of us have declared that we trust and we believe in you. Lord, I pray that you would move so in our lives that when the day of testing comes, because there is a day that every man, every woman, every child will face when death comes knocking. There is a day of testing, whether it be in this life or on the, on the crossing over into the next life. Will we believe? Lord, I pray that you would be among us, Lord, that you would strengthen our faith, that we, like Abraham, might be fully yours, that our wills, Lord, would be completely consumed by your will. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.